Good morning. Good to see you. It's good to be back here. It feels really good right here. But anyway, it's uh, good to see each one of you, and I'm so thankful we get together and worship God today. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, we're so pleased to have you, and we hope you feel today. We accomplished one thing here today. One of the things we want to accomplish is praise, honor, and glory to God Almighty, and that is have a few things I'm going to mention before we get into this uh, sermon uh, that we're going to use as a basis, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 and 2. I do also remember, though, uh, Ben mentioned when he walked in, Janie is still not feeling well, so do keep her in your prayers, and if you've got her uh, name or address and her card, I don't know if she's a texter. I know she'll take a phone call. She's not a texter, so... If you text her, you're wasting your time, okay? Uh, and that's fine. Uh, I kind of get tired of texting, but it's not. But anyway, it's we can be together. Keep her in your prayers. Um, also, Gloria uh, asking us to keep her in her prayers. She's going through a, a lot of tough stuff. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer. Matter of fact, Pat Adam, I saw a post again. She likes, I think her favorite verse is Philippians chapter 4. And verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know if we'll make ourselves available, God will make us able. Uh, that's easier to practice, though. But let's things. I had a pretty rough week. I saw J.C. Owens every day. Oh, J.C.'s a good friend. I enjoy him. We talk about lots of things, a lot of Bible. For some reason, we get on some conversation about hunting and stuff, too. But uh, he said to tell everyone hi, so hi from J.C., okay? Uh, it's interesting, though. I'm going to tell you the whole thing. Kids were scared to call it up. I went somebody come in, and I didn't have a sidearm with me, so Randy Jackson gave me 238, so I had 238s and one in each pocket in case everything went wrong. The only thing I needed was an axe, because then I would have had an axe and 238s. Axe 238. <laughs> then it would have been biblical, wouldn't it? But I didn't have an axe with me. I had a pocket knife. But uh, one other one that was kind of interesting, they've got this little play thing that's like an ark, built like an ark, but it's built wrong because it's got a lot of windows in it. But anyway, I changed my work on everything, and I told them I felt like that was unscriptural since neither one of our names were Noah that we ought to be building on the ark. But I also told them one thing was scriptural because I had him go for the wood. And so we had go for wood. And uh, also, you're not going to believe this, so we worked on it, showered on us twice. I was worried it was going to last 40 days and 40 nights. But anyway, no, we had a great time at camp. And since the uh, subject of the sermon today is we're part of the family. One thing, when you go to something like a Bible, church camp, whatever you might choose to call it, I grew up going to that, it kind of gets you away from the And you get to see that you're more than just the congregation you worship at. And it's just kind of special. And you build friendships there that last for your entire life. And God saw fit when he established the church through his son, Jesus Christ, to tell us that we are now sons of God. 
We're children of God. We're part of this family. In this text, look at, continuing on in 1 Timothy, uh, he's going to talk a little bit about those relationships. Uh, so he tells us, and I'm going to also jump over to Titus in a while and look at some of the things about older men and older women and younger men and younger women. Now, I'm pretty sure that every adult in the room, that's going to include us. Now, I can't tell you what age I'm choked up. I've had people be so foolish just to call me a younger man. Well, you're a young man. Come here. You gotta be foolish. They call me a young man. So uh, that's a little bit of perspective. But uh, we look at that and again remind that the Apostle Paul, he's older by this time. Of course, an Apostle Jesus Christ is inspired by the Holy Spirit and he's writing to this young man who's a evangelist, a gospel preacher and who even considers his son in the faith, who had strong upbringing, especially with the influence of both his mother and grandmother. So a lot to be said about Timothy. But we look, he says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. So he says that with age, because people are older than us, should we should be respectful? Does the world always understand that? Do sometimes even, they, sometimes as people get older and as they get older, sometimes in our society, does it seem like part of society just kind of like to throw them away? Well, you know, if years, and I think about preaching, and I've been preaching for um, I, I, I preached the truth 40 years ago when I was a young man. I must teach what, but you know, I have some understanding because of experience of 40 years that I didn't have then. I didn't say I didn't know the truth then, but sometimes experience helps you in application of your ability to show wisdom. Now, don't get me wrong, I've known a few ignorant old people, but he's saying that we should be respectful to people. So he's telling Timothy, who's a young gospel preacher, when you speak to these older brothers, speak to them like you would if he was your father. And that means you're to be respectful to him. You're not to rebuke him sharply. It doesn't mean that sometimes older people don't need to be warned, rebuked. But he says, no, don't, don't have that sharp thing. You know, being over there with those kids at camp and... Uh, all the adults that were working there, the things that went on. You know, when you correct the young children, you might be a little sharper than you when you reject when you uh, correct an adult, right? So we look at that. He says we need to think about that. Now you can keep your hand there or your marker there. Go to Titus chapter two and verse two. Older men. This is the one we're not to rebuke. To be temperate, as my translation reads, temperate. Now I think about the temperance movement in this country and the idea of sobriety. So that has the idea of con keeping control as we get. Huh. I can't remember who it was. I think it was Brother. Years ago, right? Whoever was working. 
working the reins, the horse was acting up. Man, he was really just, he, he wanted to skin that horse alive. And the other brother says, hey, brother, you just have to have uh, patience. He said, I, or, or you got to control your temper. He said, I've controlled more temper in the last five minutes than you've controlled, controlled in your lifetime. Some people just tend to be a little more wired that way, right? As we get older, though, should we learn to control that a little better? I didn't say we shouldn't control it when we're young, but there's less excuse with the older we get, right? So he says we're to be temperate, we're to be dignified, proper. You know, we're to treat things as um, God would have us to treat them. We're to see value in things, dignified. Some people, and I won't use names, but... We had a president here not long ago that I agreed with on a lot of things, but he couldn't say anything unless he had a sharp edge on it. But if you just treat people with a little dignity, you might be surprised how much better you can do. And dignified people treat other people with dignity also. So I want you to think about that. And then I like this, and I find it in the young men and the young women also. But he says, and even the older women, I believe, he uses this word, which is interesting, sensible. The numeric standard says, sensible. I told people I believe education is incredibly important. I also believe common sense is maybe more important. And I like the fella who, this might be sad to say, but the person who said common sense isn't very common anymore. Sensible. That means you show some sense. That means you don't just go into a full board. You don't you don't think you're going to think about how this is going to affect other people and affect the situation got to show some sense being sensible the next one of course I love sound in face sound that's like rock solid huh sound in the faith not just when I read sound in the faith I think about another passage from the time I was a boy I sang a song about it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount about the wise man, the foolish man. One of them had their foundation built on the rock. It was built and it was found, right? Because the waves came and crashed about it, and guess what? It stood right there because of the foundation. How about the one built on the sand? Because the foundation wasn't stable, the structure wasn't sound. So you've got to build your life based on faith. I know one of Vernon, I know a few of Vernon's favorite verses. I know one of them is Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So this faith has to be established here. Sound in faith. He also mentions in love, oh, I wish we had time. That subject is so misunderstood today. Uh, I think this is kind of the gist of it. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll feel good. my commandments. Oh, if we had time, we'd go through all that. And, but we think about how we need to be loving towards one another. And then he mentions in perseverance. I don't like that word. I think the King James there uses might use the word long-suffering. It's one thing to suffer for a little while. You know, I was teasing people about camp. I, I probably handle the heat as good as but I don't, I don't have to like it. I just handle it. But I can live in it, and I can sleep in it. I can do whatever I'm going to work. But it's not too hard to do for a week. But when I was a kid, I lived in it every day of the summer. And I can remember going out on the screened-in porch to sleep because it's so hot upstairs in the house. I can remember my dad going out. and We didn't have air conditioning going out and hosing the south and the west side of the house down after the sunset to cool the house off. 
I'm telling you what, it was hot. And you just kept thinking, I'll be here one day. And you know, so it, you just, but you just have to persevere. Now, perseverance, I like the person who says, I said, perseverance is taking pride with a smile on your face. Huh. Suffering is tough. Long suffering is a whole other thing, isn't it? That idea of you hang in there no matter what. I think I've read somewhere we're to endure to the end. We're to be faithful even to death. So we look at this. A lot said about the old. Now I'm going to tell you what. Those of us who are getting older, is it going to be easier for young people to remember not to read, sharply rebuke an older man and carries these characteristics? Oh yeah. It doesn't mean younger people you have the right to rebuke them sharply, even if he doesn't. But it definitely. I always think about, okay, old men. I guess I are one of them since 10 of them call me grandpa. But so you got to think, those are the attributes you need to have. Now, if you turn back over to 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, to the younger men, um, you're supposed to treat them like brothers. Well, my brothers, because I was the little brother, they used to hit me in the arm all the time. So that means I would only do it. And he just go slug every time. I, no, that's not what it means. Treat them like brothers. I always used to tell people when I was a kid, my brothers used to work me over pretty good, but I'd let someone else give a hard time and the Fox brothers come together and now you're going to have to pay for it. Why? Because they're a brother. There's a connection there. There's a relationship. I like the word brotherhood. You know how important that is. But when we think about young men, so it says we need to treat young men like brothers, like brethren. Uh, over in Titus chapter 3, excuse me, if you go back to Titus chapter 2, I said 3, Titus chapter 2 and verse 6, listen to this. I think it's, it's kind of funny when I look at the whole context because here's what it says. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. He couldn't give them a whole lot of instruction. They're young. They can't give them one thing to accomplish. Being sensible is huge, though, isn't it? And when you're young, do you always practice sense? Do we worry about young people when they Been there, done that. Many times it's fortunate to live through it. When you look at that, we think about that as Christians, you've got to show some sense. You're going to have to think about how this affects other people. Many instructions in the Bible have to do with showing sense. Evil companions, evil company does what? Corrupts good. Do you need to pay attention to the people you're around? Now, we need to reach the lost with the gospel, but it's different going and uh, being in contact with somebody for the purpose of teaching the gospel and hanging out with them. Big difference, isn't there? We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. That's a big difference. So he says, the young men must be sensible. I think it's also interesting because Timothy's one of those young men and he goes on and says, In all things show yourself to be an example in good deeds with purity and doctrine dignified, and he goes on. So he says, that, Yeah, you got to be sensible. Young men got to be sensible, but you need to know people are watching you. Over there at camp, I was around young men, young women, teenagers, uh, some younger than teenagers, but I especially think about some of the older boys and the older girls, and uh, some of them pretty impressive. You know, and you look at this and it says here, they got to show themselves to be examples. 
Well, one thing, if they figure that out when they're young, they're going to be a real asset when they're older, aren't they? You better get it figured out. You know, I think about that growing up, going to Bible class and worship. I still quote a lot of verses that I learned to memorize when I was in grade school. I'm thankful that I had parents that made sure I learned those memory verses. I'm glad that I had teachers. I wasn't glad then that gave me those assignments to memorize. Man, I wish they how many verses I got to memorize anyway. But you know, you look, I still remember old Letha Tribby, and we nicknamed her Lethal. Wasn't that terrible? Letha Tribby. But that was third grade. I think it was third grade. And uh, it, to be in her class, now this is interesting. She taught third, third grade all the time I can remember. So for 20 years, she taught, taught third grade Sunday morning Bible class. With never a quarter break, ladies. Every, every time, every time for 20 plus years. And her mama before that, because her mama was my mama's teacher in Bible class. But here's what she was. At the end of the year, you come and we went to Island Park, which is part of Cannibal Field. And all of us went there and she had a meal for us and had prizes. So I guess she was trying to bribe us. But she had prizes. And we had to quote all 52 verses. Huh, some of them girls, man, they could rattle it off like they had it in their back pocket. I'm thinking, oh, I'm in trouble. But anyway, you look and we see how important it is for us to be examples and learn to be that example even when they're young. We think about people in the Bible. Some of my favorite story in the Bible is young people. You guys ever heard of this young man named Daniel? You hear of three other young men named Shadrach, Meshach. Do you remember this young shepherd boy that comes up? But he's really not a shepherd boy. He's a giant killer. And we can keep talking. We can talk about a guy with a coat of many colors. Think about how many young... I want you to even think about Jesus. He's in his 20s. The apostles were about his age too. Wow. Young people have and will always make a grand difference in the scheme of things for the Lord with their faithfulness and their sensibility. So let's jump back to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. The older women, I'm glad you didn't call them old women. I could tell you that story from Africa. You can ask Tammy about that. She had someone in Africa called her old lady. But the older women as mothers. So it says we have to think about, we would need to treat them uh, in a way that we would treat our mothers. We have to think about that. We've got to treat them as though they have maturity and though we're showing respect and honor. But then if you turn back over to Titus chapter 3, I don't know why I keep saying 3, Titus chapter 2, uh, I'm going to pick up at verse 3 here. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. They're to be reverent in their behavior. He says... They're not to be malicious gossips. You know, I've, I've, I've looked at that passage. Being malicious, doesn't it? I mean, there is no good gossip. Okay? There's no such thing. And you know my definition that I like about it, and I still think it's as accurate as it comes, Gossip is when you're speaking about someone when you shouldn't be speaking to someone. You know, sometimes... 
want to think about how to come to their aid, not because we're talking about it. We just want to know how to help them. That's not gossip. But it would, we don't go ahead and do anything about it. Then we're just running our mouths. Sometimes people just like to talk. Now, this is going to be pretty bold, but you ever had heard this said? Either shut up or put up. That's kind of the way it is, isn't it? So it says, and I, this is interesting. You ladies, I don't mean to offend the females in the room, but it is interesting. I didn't say men don't gossip at times, but in the scripture, it seems like gossip is usually directed towards the women to watch. So women, that must be more of a challenge I would take from scripture to the women. So it says older women are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. They're not to be enslaved to much wine. I wish we had time. You're also not to do much evil. Does that mean it's okay to do a little evil? No. Not be enslaved to much wine. Uh, and they're to be teaching what is good. Then it kind of goes on and ties the younger women and the older women together. So before we even get to that, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And verse 2, treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. I wonder why he had to say in all purity, because Timothy's a young man. And you know, there's no problem. I'm kind of a hugger, so I don't have any problem hugging people. But you ladies, young and old alike, is there a proper way for a man to hug you and an improper way for a... One shows still the idea of affection, but is practiced within the boundaries of purity. Don't deal towards young women in any way that would be perceived to be anything but pure. So he, that's interesting to me. Uh, but jump back over while we think about the young women and older women's part. It says in verse 4 of Titus chapter 2, so that, we, so that they may encourage... That word's kind of interesting, courage, there, because it isn't the word usually translated in courage, but it can mean teach or train. To teach them, train them, encourage them, to instruct them, okay? So older women are to encourage the young women. Who's to do this? Timothy, the preacher, is he supposed to do this with young women? Not the preacher's job here, ladies. Did you hear me? Not the preacher's job here. He says, older women, this is their job, to teach, teach, train, encourage the younger women. First, they got to learn to love their husbands. Caleb got himself in hot water in Bible class with that love thing. Okay? So it says, I tell you what, at now I know Tammy's always had it incredibly easy to love her husband. But sometimes when you're a young lady, do you have to be encouraged? It isn't all about infatuation. It goes far beyond that. Ladies, do you love your kids? Sometimes you like to cut their heads off. Okay, so you look at that. I didn't ask your husbands because I knew where that would go. But anyway, so you look at that. So it says they got to be taught what it means. Now, one thing I know by being a teacher, like James 3 would tell us, the teacher receives a stricter judgment. So if an older woman's going to teach a young, let's say you're going to talk to Young women about raising children, and all of your children you raise, not one of them even attends a church service at all. Are you the one to teach them? Well, they're going to examine you, and they're going to say, Pfft. So you look at that, and it says, here we go. 
We've got to understand. So you, they would look also how you are, deal with your husband. If you're always running your husband down when he's not here, are you loving him? Oh, man, it gets into all those things, doesn't it? So we look and we see, it says, that they're an encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. Then here we go again, to be sensible, pure. Here's one that gets me into trouble in the United States today. Workers at home. The, the King James says keepers at home. This washer putting them in the cabinet. But I, now I'm going to tread on some thin ice for some of you. Do you know what? That's really not my job. Do you know whose job that is, really? She's sitting in the corner. She used to be the keeper. I don't help with anything, although she's never helped me change oil. No, you look at that. And we see, and then they talk about us being, the wife being the helpmeet to the husband. So it says they have to be taught that because we live in a world that is totally selfish. So it says young women need to learn. I tell people, if you don't want to be a housewife, then don't get married. I didn't say you couldn't work because Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman, she obviously had a job, but she still accomplished what needed to be done at home, didn't she? So if you can't keep the job and do that, then you need to quit the job. Did you hear me? I told you I'd tread on, get on thin ice here. I'd tread on thin ice. So we look and it says, uh, to be subject to their own husbands, I'm going to leave that one alone. Uh, that's old women got to teach that. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. So this relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God, old men, older women, young men, younger women, and as Titus uh, has written to him by the Apostle Paul of how those groups of people are supposed to act, if they don't act properly, does that dishonor who God is? God, let me make sure you know this. I know before the foundation of the earth, before the foundation of the world, God had already ordained the church. But I want you to know he instituted the home first. The two greatest institutions that would ever exist is the home and the church. And if you take time, and we don't have time to go to Ephesians 5, we can see the husband and wife and Christ in the church and that relationship being shown. And we're children of God. And God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But as Ephesians would talk, we become children through adoption. Wow. So I want us to think a little bit about that. Wish we had more time to spend there. But if we're going to be part of the family, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, we're all still going to be children of God. You know, you think about that. Someone was asking me at camp about my children. Well, when they use that, they're not talking about, do I have kids? They're wanting to know about my offspring, aren't they? Because my kids are all in their 30s and 40s. So I don't have no little kids. They might sometimes act like, well, but I don't have no little kids. So you look at that, but how long are they going to be your children? I tell you, your last breath, you're still going to be calling them your children, aren't you? Because they are your children. And we are children of God. Let's look at a few passages that I just want to hit on on that so we understand how important it is. First of all, a word we use all the time, but we won't look at these passages, but we're brethren. So we're brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Not everyone in this world is my brother or sister. If I call you brother, it's because at least I believe you're in Christ. If I call you sister, it's at least because I believe you are. I could be mistaken, but it's at least because I, people in the world, I don't call brother and sister. They're not my brother. On a physical family, I've got five siblings. Those are my only blood siblings I have, five of us, or six of us counting me. There's those five and then the great one. But anyway, no, you look at that. You just look, and it's just how it is. But here we are as a family of God, and we're brethren. So look over to Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Listen to this. Be imitators of God as what? As beloved children. You ever watch little girls go in and get lipstick and get it all over their face, and they're clomping in their high mom's high heels? Why are they doing that? If I ask them, what are you dressing up like, what would they say? Oh, they're trying to imitate their mother. Or you can look at little boys trying to do it with their dads. He says, well, here we've got to try to be imitating God. That's what it means to be godly, right? We're to be holy as he is holy. Oh, I wish we had time to go to John 17. The Father and the Son are one. How much? As one as it gets. How one or united are we supposed to be? The whole prayer in John 17 is about unity, us all being one. Turn to another one with the idea of us being a family of God and us having those connections and how strong that's supposed to be. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And listen to this. I don't have time to look at the whole context. So go to verse 14. I want to know who are these children of God or sons of God. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Who are the sons? Who are the children of God? Those who are being led by the Spirit of God. That Spirit in your translation, and I, I think they got it right. Has it got a big capital S on it? That means the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is always the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is always the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. So we look and we see. He says, well, children of God, you know who they're led by? Have you ever played follow the leader? We're supposed to follow the leader. You know what leader we're to be led by? The Holy Spirit, it says here. Where do I find what the Holy Spirit, what left turns and right turns he wants me to take? Hmm, kind of like a GPS, isn't it? I grew up prior to GPS, so it's like a map. He says, here it is. You want to know how to get there? Follow the map. So we're led by, so if you're not being led by the Holy Spirit, are you really a child of God? You're not going to get an inheritance. That's what the rest of the context is all about. But those who are will. I also think it's interesting. I'm going to turn to a different one. Uh, but I'm going to mention one I'm not turning to. When Jesus gives the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, and he gives instruction not what to pray, but how to pray. That's a difference. So you don't just quote the prayer over and over again. But he's going to treat, teach those followers, teach us how to pray. He starts, our thought. That must mean we're part of a family, doesn't it? So I pray to my Father in heaven. I end my prayers by the authority that gives me the right to approach the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't pray to someone else, Father. I pray to my Father, our Father. 
our Father who is in heaven. Um, turn with me over to John chapter 1. I think this is interesting little two verses here, and then I'll go to one more, and the lesson's yours. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as receive him, Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Do you have to re receive Jesus to become children of God? I, it always bugs me when we say, well, all of mankind are children of God. Uh-uh. That's not true. We're all his creation, but we're all not children of God. It says, those who receive Jesus are children of God, even to those who believe in his name. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4 and verse 12. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Seems like we could turn a few chapters over. You must be born again, John 3, 3 through 5, of water and of spirit. So he, we look at this, those who have been born of water and spirit, those who believe in his name, those, as it says here, who receive him, the way the Bible teaches you to receive him. You know who are children of God? Those who hear the truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who confess that very fact with their own mouth, who repent and are baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Those are those who are children of God. You know what? I used to be a child of the devil. I got out of that family when I finally understood what was going on. And I become part of the ch children of God, part of that family. And when I sin, even after become, I beg for his forgiveness. No, I don't deserve this mercy and grace, this great, magnificent spiritual blessings that can only be found in Christ. How great it is, isn't it? So when it talks about how you treat older men, and, and younger men and younger women. Do we need to pay attention to those passages? We need to treat people in a godly fashion. And some people don't know what a godly fashion is, so God says, some people are like Kendall. They don't catch on very well, so I'll just write it down plain and simple for them. One last passage. Galatians chapter 3. We'll end here with the idea of being part of God's family, of how we should treat the older brothers, the younger brothers, the older women, the younger women. Uh, picking up here, um, let's see, Galatians chapter 3. Let me pick up in verse 6. For all, excuse me, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You got to have faith in Christ Jesus to be a son of God? I could take time to go to James 2, but I told you this the last passage, so I won't. But faith without works is what? Dead being by itself. So we look at this. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, how do you get into Christ? You're buried in the watery grave of baptism. Have clothed or put on Christ. I always tell people that's my favorite baptism verse because that shows what God sees. At camp, I saw two young people be baptized. I watched them go down the pool. First one, my, I watched a young lady first be baptized. You know, when she come out out of the water, the only difference I could see, she was wet. She looked just like the girl that went under the water. You know, when the young man went and was baptized, you know, he, let me do this, I'll back it up. The young lady who was baptized looked a little more like us. She was of white pigmentation. 
She was still a white girl when she come up about the boy who was baptized. He was a black pigmentation dark. He was still a black boy when he come out of the water. He he just wet. You know what? God didn't see that way. God watched the young lady go under the water, and you know who he saw come up? This says she clothed her. That's my son. When he was baptized, oh, we're now sinless. We appear before God as Jesus. We become part of his family. You know, if I run into, let's say I'm somewhere, and I don't know Caleb's there, and I run into him, I wonder who that is. You think I recognize him? Hey, kid, what are you doing here? I know his son. I, I know him at a glance. Does God recognize his family at a glance? Yeah, those who have been born again of water and spirit, those who have put on Christ. He goes on and says, it isn't race and stuff doesn't make any difference. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man. There's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and talks about being the descendants of Abraham to the Jews. That made a lot more sense than it does to a bunch of us Heinz 57 Americans. But I'm going to tell you what. You might be so thankful to be a part of the physical family you belong to. I teased them at camp because there was one open cabin when I got there on Monday morning. And so I moved into it by myself and I told the some of the campers, that's the royalty cabin, so you had to be of a royalty to stay in that cabin, and I was the only one who met that criteria. Of course, that's not true, but we are, if we've been born again of water and of spirit, if we put on Christ in baptism, had our sins washed away because of faith in him after we've confessed his name, we're children of God. If you're not a child of God today, you can take care of that this very day. If you've been a child of God, but you haven't been living like it. Maybe you need the prayers. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness, confess those sins, and repent. Then do that. If you need prayers for strength, if you need your brothers and sisters to rally around you, remember who we are and why we are and how we are who we are. Without the love God bestowed upon us through Christ and without this message, we don't know what to do. If we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.